So, uh, let's just surmise that you made a New Year's resolution today, uh, or late last night, or early this morning. Uh, And let's surmise, actually, that we all made the same New Year's resolution. Let's say that we all decided that our New Year's resolution was that we were going to be kinder to everyone we met this year. Now, maybe that might be your resolution. You might have actually made that resolution last night or early this morning or even uh, sometime today. Not unusual for people to say, I want to do better with the folks around me. I want to I be a nicer person. So let's say that you made that resolution and uh, you go home after the fireworks and you get a little fire in your fireplace and you're sipping your tea or whatever late at night and there's a knock on your door and you go to answer the door, who could it be? And you open the door and it's, it's a person out of your past. It's a person that you haven't seen for a while. And it's a person with whom you left on really bad terms. It's actually a person that's hurt you. It's a person that um, did you great disservice. You could even go so far as to say this person betrayed you. Now remember the resolution. We're going to be kind. <laughs> right? We're going to be kind to this person. And yet, as soon as we see them, we have all kinds of emotions bubbling up inside. Maybe we feel some anger. Maybe we feel some shock and surprise that they would dare knock on our door after what they had done to us. Perhaps we're wondering uh, what on earth would bring them back after uh, our relationship ended on such bad terms. And as we, uh, as we stand there for a moment, kind of trying to get our wits about us, this person begins to claim that they're not the person they used to be, that they've actually turned over a new leaf, as it were, and their life is a new life, uh, and they're coming back because of that new life. How would you feel? How would you respond? How would I respond if that experience happened to me? Let's also assume for just a moment that uh, after the, the first 30 seconds or a minute of saying that they're a new person and uh, they, they want to you know, kind of re-engage with you, they hand you, they hand me a letter, and it's from a person of incredible importance in our lives. And it's a letter vouching for them. It's not a letter from someone we don't know. It's actually a letter from someone for whom we have great respect. Perhaps think of someone in your life that that uh, you hold in very high esteem. And this letter's telling you that this person has indeed turned over a new leaf and uh, they hope that you will listen carefully to them. If, if you're in the baseball world, let's, let's just pretend uh, that before he died, Stan the man wrote you a letter vouching for this person, right? Let's, uh, if you're in science, let's assume for a minute you love science and you've devoted your life to science that, that Stephen Hawking was your mentor and he wrote you a note and he vouches for this person. Let's say you're in the world of finance and Warren Buffett has written you a note saying, just trust me when I tell you this person is a new person. How would we react? My thought as I was honest for a few moments was, why not start the resolution tomorrow? <laughs> what's, what's one day? can't hurt too much, right? Or my thought is I need to get some help. This is not going to be easy. See, when it's on paper, it says right there, be a kinder person. When it's on paper, it's not that difficult. When you're talking about the abstract, it's pretty easy to get your mind around. And in fact, when you're talking about the people you love, I like being kinder to Cindy. I enjoy that. I like being kinder to my family and the the people around me. I don't always do it. 
It wouldn't be a bad resolution for Tom Ricks to say, I want to be kinder to the folks around me, but, but I want to be kinder. But what about somebody that has really hurt me pretty deeply, has betrayed me? I'm going to need some help. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you uh, meet us right where we live. Lord, in a, in a, a season of, of joy and thanksgiving, celebration, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus as we've celebrated last week and uh, yesterday and today as we celebrate uh, what is on our human calendar, a new year. Uh, it is good for us to be reminded that your word speaks into every facet of our lives. As we think about the people we want to be, we think about the people we are, most of us, if we're honest, would say there's a gap there. So Father, as we just look at this topic tonight out of your word of what it would mean to actually love someone who's hurt us, to actually express kindness to someone who has betrayed us. Father, I pray that you would teach us. Relational issues are very real in our lives. This isn't make-believe. It isn't as if this type of thing doesn't happen. It happens all the time. We hurt one another. We disappoint one another. We let one another down. We, we, we do harm to one another. And if we are not enveloped by your grace and your mercy, uh, we will be very antagonistic towards one another. Father, it is only by your grace that we are people of kindness. So we pray that you would teach us. What I have to say is not important. It's only one other person's opinion. Father, what you say is of eternal weight. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your teaching. Father, forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of your lesson this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Philemon has a visitor on his doorstep. Letter to Philemon was written by none other than the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist of Christianity, perhaps the greatest of all the apostles. Uh, and Philemon opens his door, and there's a gentleman named Onesimus standing uh, at his front door. Onesimus was a runaway from Philemon. He had been his bond servant, which means that Philemon somewhere along, excuse me, Onesimus somewhere along the line ran into some kind of very serious, serious financial distress. And in those days, you, you didn't declare bankruptcy, you worked off the debt you owed. And it wouldn't be unusual for a family member or a close friend to take you on as a bond servant as a favor for you to, uh, allow, to allow you to work your debt off, and then the pay that you were given went to your debtors instead of going to debtor's prison. And Philemon has a bond servant, Onesimus, which means that Philemon probably was fairly kind to Onesimus from the outset, and yet he had run away. He had been a, a, a deadbeat worker, so to speak. He arrived late, left early, and didn't do much while he was there. We'll see that in just a few moments. He also perhaps was a thief. It may have been that he actually stole from Philemon before he left. And so he repaid this fairness and this kindness with scorn. And now he's here claiming a new life, claiming that something different and something radical has happened in his life. And he hands him a letter from Paul. Now, Paul is not only, as I said, the most influential Christian of his generation, but he's also the man who birthed the church in Colossae, and, and Paul was influential in Philemon coming to Christ. 
So not only would it be like, you know, think about getting a letter from, you know, Billy Graham, <laughs> but, but let's say that, you know, you were at a Billy Graham crusade where you were saved. For those of you that are younger, I'm not sure who to equate Billy Graham to. Uh, if, you're, if you're around Reformed theology, maybe Tim Keller, right? Okay. But here's a person of great importance, a person that you hold incredibly high esteem. And, and this person that you really <laughs> aren't real excited about saying at your door has a letter from them. And the letter says to them, give this person another chance. What do you do? Well, let's jump into this text and see how Paul approaches this conversation with Philemon. First of all, just to, just to set the stage, verses one and three, the, the letter starts out, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, grace and peace to you from God, our father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to be clear, Paul is writing the letter. Timothy is, is one of his assistants, and they're writing to Philemon, who Paul calls a beloved fellow worker. What is the message from Paul? I have three observations about this message. The first is this. Paul reminds Philemon of God's grace. In verse 4, he says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus, and for all the saints. Philemon had a reputation of a genuine faith. And if you look at how that, that faith is, is expressive, you go back to that slide we're at just for a second, the one before, it says two things, that he had a love of the faith and a love of the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So what Paul discerned about Philemon was that he loved Christ, how? Based on all the Bible verses he had memorized? based on how many times he went to church, based on, on how much money he put in the offering plate? No, based on the fact that Philemon was a person whose life seemed to reflect that which is most needed at this moment, grace and kindness and love for all of God's saints. Paul goes on to remind him of God's grace in his prayer for him. He says in verse six, I pray that you would have a greater impact. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Think about this for just a minute. Paul is saying to Philemon, I'm praying that your witness, that the sharing of your faith is of great impact. How do you share your faith? There's two ways you share your faith, and they support one another. It's like two hinges that, that have to come together, right? The one is when you speak. The one is when you talk to someone. The one is when you have a friend or a family member or maybe a complete stranger, and you're in a conversation, and, and, the, and the question of faith comes up, and you share your faith in Christ. That's one way you're a witness. How else do you share your faith in the way in which you live? And Philemon is staring smack dab at, at the, one of the biggest challenges he's ever going to faith for his life to match up to his words. So Paul is acknowledging to Philemon, not only are you a dear brother, not only do you have a great reputation, but I know that I'm presenting you with a problem. I know that I'm giving you a real challenge here. And I'm trusting that your witness will grow. But notice also Paul's care for him. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, he says, in verse seven. Again, think about someone of this importance saying, you know what, you're an encouragement to me. I mean, think about whoever, whoever your person was, you know, as I mentioned, Stan the Man and, and all those guys, who's your, who's your guy or who's your gal? Who's your hero? 
Who's your person that, boy, you just really hold them in high esteem? What would it mean to you if they, if they wrote an official letter that everybody could see and it said, boy, so-and-so has really been great in my life. I can't tell you how much they've actually meant to me. Paul is reminding Philemon of the grace of God. He says, you're who you are. Why? Because of your faith. In other words, because of what God has done for you. Philemon, you wouldn't be where you are if you didn't have the grace of God in your life. Philemon, you're, you're a solid rock. You're a person I can depend on. You have a reputation of genuine faith. I'm praying that the impact of your faith will be even greater than it is before. I have great affection for you as brothers in Christ. Those are all tremendous compliments, but they're also a way of reminding Philemon that the only way he got there was because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. The only way you and I have lives that are transformed, that actually are kinder from the inside out, that that it really is heartfelt and that it's changed, it's because of what God's grace does for us. I would love for everybody in my congregation, me included, I've said this before, we ought to all own a mirror, one of those little hand mirrors, right? Not so you look at it and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, right? But so that every day you look at that mirror and you say, mirror, mirror, in my hand, I'm the worst man in the land, <laughs> or whatever, right? I forget how much I need the grace of God. It's dangerous being a pastor. It's not physically dangerous being a pastor, pastor, but it, it, it is emotionally dangerous being a pastor because you can start to think more of yourself than you should. You start to think that, boy, the congregation really needs Jesus. I'm sure glad I'm doing so well. And you can ignore your own sin. And Paul is reminding Philemon, Philemon, you're doing quite well, Why? Because Jesus is in charge of your life. Jesus is the one who's changing you. We're so quick to a smugness and to a self-righteousness that looks down on others and excuses our own sin. And what Philemon needs at this particular moment is an overflowing and an abundance of the grace of God because he's face-to-face with a person that if he really told the truth, he would say, I really don't like Onesimus. He, I do not like this guy. It'd be like Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. For those of you that studied Churchill's life, you know the, the few that went on in their adult life. I'm sure you've heard this story before they were at a dinner party, and Lady Astor was just just so tired of Churchill. And she looked at him and she said, Winston, if you were my husband, I would poison you. And Churchill didn't miss a beat. He looked back and without a blink, he said, and lady asked her, if I was your husband, I would drink it. (laughs) Right? The smugness and the self-righteousness just drips off those words. And yet that's Tom Ricks apart from the grace of God. That's you apart from the grace of God. That's all of us apart from the grace of God. The only reason that Paul can compliment Philemon is because of what Jesus has done for him. But secondly, not only does Paul remind Philemon of God's grace, he also has a request that's, that's based on good faith, that is very honest and very open. Paul says in verses eight and nine something interesting. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Now, what is Paul saying? What Paul is saying is, Philemon, you and I both know that I'm an apostle. You both know that technically speaking, I have the authority to say to you, you must welcome Onesimus back into your home and you would be required to do so. But Paul says very clearly, I don't 
want to demand what my rights allow. I would much rather we, we kind of roll up our sleeves and walk through this together. That's a good reminder for us, brothers and sisters. You don't follow Jesus in a silo. You don't follow Jesus in a vacuum. The people that are sitting around you are your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus tonight, this is a place where we need to care for one another. We need to watch out for each other. And that's what, what Paul is doing. He's trying to care for Philemon because he knows he's asking him something very difficult. So he says, I really want to do this out of love for you. He also reminds him that what Onesimus is claiming is actually true. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, we have no idea how Paul and Onesimus came together. Their scripture doesn't say anything about that. It can't be that Paul and Onesimus were fellow prisoners because Onesimus wouldn't be out of jail <laughs> delivering this note. But somehow their paths crossed. And somehow Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus, and somehow Onesimus came to Christ under Paul's witness. And so Paul says to Philemon, Onesimus is a new man. I'm his father in the faith. He's, he, he's my child in Jesus. He's speaking about his conversion to Christ. What, what Paul is saying is, I had the opportunity to be used by God to bring Onesimus to faith to bring him to Jesus, and Jesus saved him. And so he uses this father-son language again because he knows that he's asking Philemon something incredibly difficult. He's also very honest in the tenor of this note. In verse 11, he says this, formerly he was useless to you, but he, now he is indeed useful for you and to me. I love Paul's honesty. Paul's to say, you know, Philemon, maybe, maybe you didn't quite understand Onesimus. Maybe he was better than you thought. He just comes out and he says, you know what, I, I know the guy was, and he was completely useless. It's an honest acknowledgement of, of the reality of the situation, that this is going to be a difficult scenario. But again, he appeals as a brother in Christ. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would be glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. Paul is saying we're brothers in Christ. We're, we're doing this. We're working on this together. This Onesimus project, Philemon, belongs to both of us. And now he's saying, in a sense, my cards are on the table and, and the ball's in your court, Philemon. What are you going to do? I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm asking you to do this. I'm not commanding you. Onesimus is a new man in Christ. I know he was, a, he was a no good, lazy, shiftless bum before, but now he's come to Christ and his life has been changed. And so I'm appealing to you as from one brother to another. Now what's Philemon gonna do? Now it gets right down to it. The reality of the situation. Philemon has a choice to make. I've had very few times in my life where I've been deeply wronged. Uh, that just hasn't happened to me a lot. It has happened to me or I've had friends betray me, but it hasn't happened very much. But if you've ever had that experience, even once in your life, you know how awful it is. You know how, how terrible it is to, to feel that someone who you thought, you know, you had a strong bond and a strong friendship, and now you seem to be at odds. And, and they're accusing you of things, and they're, and they're speaking badly of you. Not only speaking badly to you, but speaking badly about you. 
It's only happened to me twice in my life where I've had that kind of, of brokenness in a relationship where, where I was wronged deeply by someone else. But you know what happened in both occasions? It, took, it, it was a couple of years later. It was actually a few years later. Both of those people came back to me later on in life and acknowledged their sin and asked for my forgiveness. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> I can't talk about them anymore. <laughs> I can't feel self-righteous compared to them anymore. I, I can't say, you know, I'm really praying for that brother because he's just not a very nice guy, you know, kind of like I am, right? All of the self-righteousness now is out the window. Tom, the ball's now in your court. God's done something in their life. What are you going to do? Paul says to Philemon, this is a request that's based on good faith, my trust in Christ and what he's doing in your life. But Philemon, now the choice is yours. And so my third observation is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. What exactly is Paul asking of Philemon? He's asking him, he's asking him a handful of things. The first thing he's asking him is to have a Christ-like attitude. This is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul says to Philemon, if you're going to have him back, it's got to be his brothers in Christ. It's not as a bondservant anymore, which has financial implications, which we'll get to in just a minute, right? But Philemon, what I'm asking you to do is to receive this one back as an equal, as a fellow heir of the kingdom of God through the Lord Jesus. I'm asking you to think like Jesus. And when it comes down to it, that's what we need. We need to think like our Lord did when it comes to those people that we would consider enemies or consider that are folks that have harmed us or people uh, that have done us some disservice. Paul says, where the rubber meets the road, finally, first and foremost, is in your thinking. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. This is not just about a behavior. You can't just say, it's okay, I'm, you know, I forgive you and move on, while your heart doesn't change. Paul understands that. He says, maybe this is why God orchestrated all of it in the first place. Maybe he gave you a, an intermission in this relationship so you could catch your breath. So now that he's coming back, you could see the miracle that God's done. The other couple places the rubber meets the road is he asked him to receive him with open arms. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So go back to thinking about your hero. Go back to thinking about your, your guy or your gal, right? Uh, the, the one you hold in high esteem, right? If, if they knocked on your door tonight, even that, you know, you, you were in bed, you're almost asleep, but they knocked on your door and you looked out your window and there they were, whoever that filled in that blank, whoever you want to. Would you say, go away? I'm tired, I'm sleepy. I've had too much New Year's celebration. Come back another time? Of course not. You would fling the doors open wide. And you, you, you'd welcome them in and you'd serve them anything that you had. And if you didn't have it, you would go out and get it. You would find it because you hold them in such high esteem. Don't you love those videos of the soldiers coming home and surprising their loved ones? Isn't that the best thing you've ever seen in your life? Those are so cool. I sit there and watch. I just, you think I cry when I preach. Man, I watch those and I just, I close the door and I don't let anybody see. It's just, those are so amazing, right? Because you're not expecting them and all of a sudden they're there. It's like the greatest gift you could ever have. And Paul says, hey, Philemon, look at Onesimus that way, <laughs> right? I know, Philemon, if I knocked on your door, you'd bring me in, you'd give me a steak dinner, you'd give me, you know, whatever, you'd take care of me. Treat Onesimus like that. Wow. <laughs> That's where the rubber meets the road of, of faith. 
receive one who has betrayed you with an open arms. I remember when uh, we had a, a friend kind of get sideways in one of our ministries and my mentor, a guy named Chuck Nieder, uh, was, was, was lobbying for us to be kind and gracious. And I was kind of pushing back on that and saying, I'm not sure about that. And, and Chuck said to me, well, when you look at him, just see me. That actually made it a lot easier. And it, 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 it made it uh, in a language I could understand it. And Paul's saying, when you see Onesimus, just, just see me, right? And then he says this, whatever he owes you, forgive him and place it in my account, right? If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Now, again, this this hero comes to your door and says, if they wronged you, put it to my account. Are you really going to send him a bill? (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm going back to the Stan the Man thing because I actually met Stan the Man one day and I I couldn't speak for a week. I I can't imagine saying, oh, you know, by the way, Stan, you know, you owe me a couple bucks. Could you, you know, could could you pay up? Oh, my goodness. That's insane, right? Can you imagine saying to this hero, you know, we got an account and you got a square? No, you would say, don't worry about it. It's on me. I got this. It's what Jesus said when he went to the cross. I got this. I'll pay it. You can't. You never would have been inclined to in the first place, but don't worry about it. I got this. Paul says to Philemon, if he owes you something, forgive him and put it to my account. And then he asks one last thing in verse 20. He says this, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. And what Paul is speaking to there is he's, he's alluded to it in a verse before and a verse after, which I didn't put on the screen. Paul's basically saying, send Onesimus back to me. He, he's of great benefit to me. So hug him, love him, forgive him, and then release him. You won't ever, you won't ever get your money back. You won't ever get what you, know, what you want to get out of him as a bond servant. The favor you did him, the, the kindness that you offered him is going to cost you something, but he's of great value to me. Please release him to me. He's asking him to sacrifice on this, for the sake of someone who's rejected him, who's hurt him, who's made his life filled with some amount of sorrow. This is really a cool story. If you look at it from Onesimus' side of the coin, right? Onesimus gets grace, he gets forgiveness, and he gets a new chance. And this is really cool if you look at it from Paul's side of the coin because Paul gets a helper, and Paul's in prison, and he needs someone to take care of him. But if you look at it from Philemon's point of view, what does he get out of this? What's the benefit? I think it's one thing, but I think it's a really important thing. He gets the chance to live in complete trust in God. Because nobody in the world would tell us to do this. If you read this book of the Bible, apart from the grace of God in Christ, you would say, this is the most foolish thing I've ever seen in my life. What, what, it just proves you're a sucker. It just proves you're naive and you don't understand the ways of the world. And Jesus says, I want you to understand the way of my kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, interestingly enough, we don't know how this turns out. There isn't a second Philemon. So we don't know it, what, uh, what Philemon did at the doorstep. There are some, maybe some clues in Scripture. to, to we, we maybe think that, that it all happened uh, with grace and with compassion, uh, but there isn't a latter reference that explains this. And I think there's an important reason for that because I think Philemon was not really, I mean, it was written for Philemon, yes, but ultimately really it's for you and for me. 
The fact that we don't know the end of the story forces us to put ourselves in the story and say, what would I do? How would God work in my life in this situation? Because probably every person in this room over the age of five has an Onesimus in their life. You have somebody that you know right now. You've got their name in your head. They're, they're, even if you haven't seen them in 20 years, their face is right there in front of you. You can see it as clearly as you can see me standing here talking to you. And God calls us to a life of, a life of compassion. He calls us to trust in him and nothing else. And it looks foolish to the world. And there may be a price that has to be paid. Maybe you and I have to put down our smugness and our self-righteousness and we, we can't pick it back up again. But how does the gospel impact our relationships in a very real sense of the word? You see, the application is that we don't really need a New Year's resolution. What we need is the power of our new life in Christ because we're apt to forget what it took to forgive me. We're apt to forget when we're faced with forgiving others that Jesus had to go to the cross for us. We're willing to apply the gospel to those who love us well. It's easy to forgive the small things of life, but are we really willing to be disciples of Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him to the extent that we let go of of bitterness and resentment and self-righteousness? Are we willing to apply the gospel to those who have betrayed us or harmed us. Now I know as we begin to wrap up here, we're, 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 we can be in pretty deep water because not everybody comes back to you like Onesimus and is a, is a follower of Christ. And I'm not suggesting that if someone causes you constant emotional or physical harm that you should put yourself in their pathway. That's not what I'm saying at all. What we're talking about is thinking and feeling and acting with the grace and the mercy of God that allows us to honor God and to freely forgive, even if others don't ask for forgiveness, because we know that in doing so, the only person we could possibly trust at that moment is our Heavenly Father. And I gotta tell you, that's the best place in the world to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's letter to Philemon. We can read it and skip right over it. It's, it's about half a page. We go, isn't that nice? Look at, Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus and they're all going to live happily ever after. But if we look at it honestly, Father, we see a lot of pain here. A lot of temptation to self-righteousness. A lot of temptation to ignore the gospel for a moment and and give Onesimus a good talking to, if if nothing else. Maybe have him arrested because he's cheated us or stolen from us. To look out for ourselves, to trust ourselves instead of trusting you. We can't do both those things at the same time. The world, I know, says we're, we're, we're fools for trusting you and living out of the grace that you have given us in Christ. And on the surface, it could look like we lose. But Father, I pray that you would remind us the distance Jesus had to go to forgive us and that we would apply that grace to every human relationship. Father, I pray that you would protect us from our own self-righteousness. I pray that you would protect us from the evil one who would tempt us to think in a different way and that you would 
renew our hearts and our minds this first day of 2017. We would give you the relationships in our lives. We would ask that you'd be glorified. You would teach us your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.